Ray's going to share a little bit about uh, what the Gideon's ministry is and how we can continue to uh, participate in that. All right. First off, thank you, Pastor, for having us here. You know, when I first got here, I was feeling a little nervous. This isn't my first time I've done this. I've done it quite a bit. But I always kind of feel a little nervous when I first come into here because I'm along a whole lot of new people. But I have to be honest with you. After I heard about a kitchen detail committee, cookies in the freezer, and I saw Chuck up here, I don't feel so bad anymore. <laughs> I feel pretty good, actually. You know, uh, I'm a Gideon, and you think that's kind of odd. I've gone into many hotel rooms placing Bibles, and people come up to me, and they'll ask me two questions. You're the one that put this in here? And what does a Gideon look like? I had these people from, I was at the Wayfair Hotel in Cannon Beach and came out. And we walked in there and told the thing, lady, thank you there at the desk for letting us in there. And these people, they were from, from UK. And they come up and they says, you're Gideon? And I go, yes, we are. And she says, I've never seen a Gideon before. <laughs> it's, it's like we were aliens or something, but we're not. We're real life people who love God, we're Christians, and we serve him by handing out Bibles. We've been organized since 1899. That's 124 years we've been in business. A lot of businesses don't make it that long. But, but we have a Savior who's always there forever. And uh, we're, we, we hand out Bibles and distribute Bibles to over 120 different countries. There's 260,000 of us. So we're quite an organization. And I'll tell you, I'm here, and you're probably asking yourself the question, why am I here? Well, there's two reasons I'm here. The first reason is, I want to tell you how important you are. And then secondly, I want to tell you about why I do this. The first reason is, and the pastor kind of brought it up a little bit about being a gardener and a garden and that's what we do. And as a Gideon, we go out and we kind of like plow the field, if you will. And we plant a seed. That's what we do. Now I'm going to tell you what you do. You could be sitting right next to somebody who got a Gideon Bible. And he's here for the first time trying to figure out what God's all about. What church is all about. What his relationship with the Lord is all about. That's you. You're going to take that person that you're sitting beside and you're going to share Jesus with him. He's going to hear the word of God or she's going to hear the word of God from your pastor. They're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because of you. That's what it's all about. That's why I'm here. To let you guys know how important you are to us. Not only important that way, but you're contributions to us to help us support our ministry. You may not realize this, but from 2009, or excuse me, yeah, no, excuse me, from 1909 to 2001, we had our first billion Bibles. And then from 2002 to 2015, we handed out our second billion Bibles. So we've had two billion Bibles to 215. Well, this is 224. We hand out, one every second, two Bibles are being distributed 
throughout the world. Every four days is one million Bibles being distributed throughout the world. That's 91 million Bibles a year. Tell me one author that even comes close that amount of books being sold in one year. 91 million Bibles cost money. It takes us a big effort to do it. And that's why another reason I'm here is because I hope to have some of your financial support to do that. And that's incredibly important. Now I'm going to kind of tell you why I do it. It's found in Romans 10 and in verse 14, starting, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I like to feel like that's me. You know, there's a lot to being a Gideon, actually. I'd like to see, this is a pocket PWT I have in my hand. You can't see it because I gave them all away. We don't have any more. I got 200 sitting in my garage, though, that I just got. But I was in such a hurry to get here this morning, I walked right on by them. <laughs> but anyway, I'm here. And I think everybody has probably seen a personal witness testimony Bible from the Gideons. I'm sure of it. But anyway, that's what we do. We hand out Bibles on the streets. We hand out Bibles in hotels. We distribute Bibles anywhere we can distribute a Bible. We have them in our cars. We give them to people in parking lots, supermarkets, you name it. We give them a Bible if they'll take it. And hopefully we can share the word of God with them at the same time. So it's really pretty good. But I'll tell you. Being a Gideon is an adventure. If you want to up and boost your Christian life, become a Gideon. It's amazing. To get out there amongst the people is always an adventure with God. Me and my good friend Floyd Baker, we were down at the prom. And we were handing out Bibles and distributing Bibles. And this family's coming down the street. And, they, and they're just a, a joyous, happy family. And I asked the father, I said, well, would you like a Bible? He goes, no. But his little nine-year-old boy wasn't going to have any of that. He, say, he says, I want a Bible. I want a Bible. His dad goes, no, no. Well, a nine-year-old boy does only one thing a nine-year-old boy can do. He goes straight to his mom. And he hits his mom up. Mom gives dad the look. The boy gets a Bible. <laughs> the boy's going down the street saying, I got a Bible. Everybody he sees, he says, I got a Bible. And he's screaming it out as loud as he can. And we're sitting there handing out Bibles, and things are, and we're going along, and, and these brothers and sisters came up the other way, and, and they stopped, and they said, hey, did you guys hand out a Bible to a little boy? He said, yeah. He says, and they were way down the prom. He goes, that little boy is telling everybody as loud as he can that he's got a Bible. That's God. That's Holy Spirit. He was our best witness and testimony for that day. That boy probably handed out 100 Bibles all by himself. He just didn't know it. Me and Frank, uh, Frank Stewart were down at the prom from the circle thing there, and we're handing out Bibles there on Broadway. And this 28-year-old guy and his girlfriend or fiance, whichever, comes by, and, and uh, 
asked me, he said, you want my Bible? He goes, no, no, I don't want that. He gives me the hand and, and walks off. But his girlfriend or his fiance, however you want to look at it, she looks behind his back at me. And I could tell by that look that she wanted God's holy word. And so we sat there, maybe five or six minutes later, Frank says, that woman that looked at you, she's coming down the street. She took a Bible, and she was, couldn't, it made her day. She comes up to me, and she says, can I still have that Bible, or is it too late? I said, no, it's never too late. So she took the Bible, and it made a whole difference to her. That's what Gideon is about. That's the adventure. I could tell you about so many of those same situations. I could tell you how God acts in the weather, how he makes things work out. February morning, it's freezing outside, believe it or not. We had planned this Bible distribution for a month before, before Valentine's Day, but it, the weather was just terrible. But two of us, three of us made it, my wife, me, and, and Floyd Baker, we made it. It turned out to be a beautiful day. We handed out 100 Bibles on that day when everybody else was snowed in. We got all done. We walked off the prom. It started snowing. <laughs> God makes things happen in your life. And you can see that as a Gideon. And I'm here to recruit. That's another thing I'm here for, to recruit people. If any of you have a desire to be a Gideon and would like to be one, come and join us. We have stuff in the back for you. At the end of this service, I will be standing back there with my wife with an open Bible and would, would appreciate anything you'd like to give. But there's one other thing I want to talk about. From you, your prayers. We need prayer. We're like any other organization or any, any other identity. We need prayer. We need your guys' prayers to help us and to support us that way. Thank you for putting up with me. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for the time, Pastor. Thanks, Ray. Really appreciate it. You know, our coast here is blessed with it. Are you guys a chapter? Is that how that works? Is that what it's? You, we have a very active Gideon chapter uh, here at the coast. So I, if you were at Pack to School, you probably saw the Gideons uh, at Pack to School here uh, distributing Bibles, and they talk with people who make themselves available to hear about uh, Jesus Christ. And then I've been to other community festivals, and they've got a booth there. And they're just set up, and they're talking with anybody who goes by. And what's amazing is often I'll see them from way across the field, wherever I'm at, and I can see how joyful they are to be there. Their countenance is just filled with love and goodness to the people who are, are passing by. And that's magnetic, because most of the time when you're at a festival like that, there's a booth. And what are people doing at those booths? They're trying to sell something to you, right? They're getting something from you. But these people show up, and they want to give people Jesus, and they love the people who are going by. So it's really awesome. Can I share one other thing with you? Sure. We were just at the Placer County Fairgrounds here. My good friend Colin and Aaron were there, too. Over 330 Bibles. Wow. So for those of you online and who couldn't hear them, uh, Ray said they were just at the Clatsop County Fair, and they gave over 300 Bibles, uh, 330 Bibles uh, in one weekend, which is really awesome. So... Um, 
Maybe, uh, maybe you're not familiar with uh, the awesome ministry that the Gideons have, but you can get a little bit familiar today with that. And as Ray said, if you'd like to contribute to distributing, distributing Bibles here locally and around the world, he'll be out in the foyer with an open Bible, and, and anything you can give can go towards that. Uh, I can tell you that internationally, God's Word is highly sought after. Uh, right now, I have an opportunity where I regularly get to equip pastors and church leaders in Africa, in a country called Malawi, and the biggest hurdle they have is that they do not have enough Bibles there to equip people to know the Lord. So all they have is what they hear at church because they can't go study it on their own, and they're so desperate to study on, on, on their own because that's where they know they will encounter more truth of God and, and grow a deeper relationship with Him. Uh, anyways, let's take a moment and pray before we get into the message and pray for the ministry that Gideon's here. Father, thank you for the good news that we just heard uh, from Ray this morning about how you are working here in the Northwest on our coast to help people to know your son, to hear the life-giving message of Jesus Christ crucified and raised for them. Father, we pray that you would continue to empower and equip this ministry through our partnership, through the partnership of other churches, and most of all, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Thank you that that's the, the main testimony that was shared, is that your spirit works in us so that we're able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. I love Ray's passion for that. I ask, Father, that uh, not one of these good books would be wasted, that those who see them and read them would be blessed to learn about the Son, that they'd be drawn into relationship with you, that those who know you would be encouraged by that. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active, that it's able to do holy spiritual surgery on our hearts. And we pray that that would not just happen through the Gideon Bibles, but here today as we study your word. Father, thank you for this time of learning together. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm here to tell you guys about a gift that I received, and it's not a Bible. It's a gift called justification. And uh, in case if you didn't understand that, I didn't say just a vacation. I said justification. <laughs> a vacation will give you rest for a little while. Justification will give you rest eternally. And it's so much better than any beach you've ever walked on, no matter how white and how warm the sand is. So today we're going to talk about justification and what that means for you and I. And it's going to be a good one, I hope. So here's the big idea. We'll just get it right there in the open because it's such an important one. God gives you justification. We're going to define that in just a minute. And as a result of receiving justification, you are always welcome into his presence. And you can always have peace, specifically peace with him and peace from him. And you always have reason to hope. You always have reason to hope. Now, these are powerful things that you and I need, whether or not we know it. Think about what it means that you have access to God all the time if you have justification. Think about what it means that you can have peace with God and how crazy the world is and how crazy your life can be and to have peace in the midst of that. And finally, think about how many things we encounter that want to take away our hope, take away our sense of a positive future, take away a sense of anything good that can come our way. And this gives us reason to hope. So let's talk a little bit about justification. So uh, first of all, we're going to be in Romans 3. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to be in Romans 3. We're going to be starting in verse 21, Romans 3, 21. Also, some of us, you know, we only have the Bible with us on our phone, and that counts too. That's how I'm rolling today. I'm using my Bible on my phone. So if that's you and you've got your Bible on your phone, go ahead and poke that screen until you get where you need to be. Romans 3, starting in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, 
the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and prophets. Okay, let's pause there. So Paul is making a contrasting statement. He's saying, right now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. He's saying God has made a major shift in his program. And you used to have to always make sure you developed a right record of behavior with God if you wanted a relationship with him. But God's got a different system going on now. And it's not through works that you're going to find righteousness. It's through something different. And he says, but this isn't really a new thing because God already told us that this is going to happen in the Torah, remember the first five books of the Bible, and also through the prophets. So in other words, all of the Old Testament, Paul is saying, is pointing to this reality. And this is the reality in which we stand now. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Now what he's talking about is there's no distinction between Jewish people and us crazy pagan Gentile people. That's most of us. We might have a few people of Jewish heritage here, but most of us uh, were from nations where they worshiped trees and threw stuff into rivers and sacrificed blood to weird gods. And so Paul, God's saying all of us, all of us can be included in his grace through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your spiritual heritage is in the past. Everyone has access to this gift. And this gift is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes, since there is no distinction. Now, this is kind of interesting because when we talk about righteousness, righteousness is not necessarily a positive cultural concept anymore. I mean, I think in the 60s or 70s, at some point in time, people said, that's righteous, and they meant that's awesome, but now we've reversed that and we say, like, it's sick. Uh, it's broke, you know, like there's good, bad terms mean good terms, good terms mean bad terms. You're probably equally confused by these things. So uh, when we talk about righteousness, it's not negative, it's actually really positive. Righteousness is a positive record that gives access and creates opportunity. Righteousness is a positive ac uh, record that gives access or creates opportunity. You all have something that you can put on your resume that declares your righteousness in some way, right? Uh, I remember my first job, I was a dishwasher in a bakery. I had the righteousness it took to get that job. I had access and opportunity because I had hands and a willingness to work and take instructions. That was what I needed for access and opportunity. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's really hard to be a dishwasher if you don't have hands. You need a different job, right? So I had hands that could do the work. There are other things that you've done that you have needed a resume for. You've turned it in and you've demonstrated, I have this life experience, I have this training, here's my track record. You should hire me to do the job and you should pay me the amount of money that I'd like to make in this position. Have you all been in this position before? Absolutely. Have you also applied for a position before where you know that your own righteousness isn't enough to get the job, but you're hoping, you're reaching for something greater than you can attain to on your own? Yeah, so you know what it is. You've probably been in that place where you're just hoping that that person will have favor on you, that they will say, well, even though you don't have this on paper, I think that something inside of you shows me that you can make it that you have what it takes, right? Now, how do you feel when somebody looks at you and says that about you? You feel like you're on top of the world, right? You're like, 
They think I'm really amazing. All of a sudden, your muscles feel bigger, your posture's straighter. Everything is magical in that moment, right? But how does it feel when somebody looks at what you have on paper and they say, you know what? You aren't qualified. You're not qualified. It doesn't feel very good, does it? I have friends, they've been looking to buy a house before or looking to get a used car or something like that, and somebody takes their credit score and they look at that person and they say, we will not give you the loan that you are looking for. I've never known anybody who heard that news and went, thanks be to God, right? There's bad news in that moment, and it's challenging. So when we're talking about righteousness, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news implied here is that you don't have the righteousness that you need on your own to have access to God. This is the state that everyone is born in. Right before this in Romans, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's saying that on your own, your righteousness does not give you access to God, does not give you opportunity to know Him. See, for us, the righteousness, the record that we need to have access to God is a perfect moral record. The righteousness that you need to have access to God is a perfect moral record. Now, you don't know anyone who has perfect morality, not even yourself. In fact, even if we were to take away all outside standards of morality and only use your own sense of values, your own sense of right and wrong, the things that you tell other people that other people should do, you know, you've had those moments where something bad has happened to you and you've said, that's not right. They should not do that. They should be honest about their mistakes right away. It is wrong to withhold truth about things that you've done. They should be more generous. That is not kind of them. They are not being generous in this moment. That is not right because they were going first, and it's not right to put yourself first. We've all had these moments where we've looked at other people's behavior, and our own consciences have said, that's wrong for them to do that. But then later on, we've done the same thing. Have you ever noticed that before? That the very standards that we want to hold ourselves to, we fall short of meeting. Well, God's standards are much greater than our standards. And if we can't even meet our own standards on our own, guess what? We're not meeting God's perfect moral standard. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is, is that apart from your moral law and apart from God's moral law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. It's been made available to you so that the perfect record of Jesus Christ can become your perfect record before God. In other words, what God is telling you here is that he is willing to apply to you a perfect record that you did not earn, that you did not create, and quite frankly, that you can't keep on your own. That God is going to give you the record you need to give you access and opportunity to know him. It says in Romans 3, 21 through 26, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So justification is this, 
God giving you Jesus' positive record. God giving you Jesus' positive record. Anybody ever been on a championship team before? Like a winning team, you earned a trophy, not a participation award. You know, like a trophy, you actually won the whole deal, the big show is yours. It's very exciting to do that. And it's very exciting to do that if you're like one of the pinnacle players on the team, right? And there's always just a few, especially in little league sports, they're the ones that kind of carry things and go along the way. Now sure, the rest of the team is okay, but there's always somebody on the team who really isn't up to snuff with the rest of the team. Have you ever noticed that? Well, sometimes some of us are those people, right? And they get to the championship, and do you know what happens? They get the award too. They get the award too. They are part of the championship team. And Jesus is saying, I am the leader of the winning team. I am the one who will get the champion trophy. I will receive the crown. But you know what? If you want to be on my team, you can be on my team too. My victory can be your victory my record can be your record. All you have to do is say, yes, I want that victory. I believe that you will be victorious, Jesus, and so I'm with you. I am on your team. Justification is God giving you Jesus' positive record. His work becomes your work. His success becomes your success. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, meaning us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus him. Jesus lived a perfect life. His moral record was sterling and shining. Not only that, but Jesus didn't have an easy road to that moral record. He was tempted in every way that we are or could be, and quite frankly, and I think, and then some. Jesus was presented all sorts of difficult situations. His own people betrayed him. The people who should have been his partners in life and ministry rejected him. His very own people who should have understood the program of God stood as his enemies. He was born into a nation that was under political oppression. They were unwanted people in a very important intersection in the world. And so the Romans ruled over them and the relationship wasn't very good. Beyond that, Jesus was born in the middle of nowhere, and his neighbors thought that he was born out of wedlock. That was a really big deal then. It was a time when the term bastard was really condemning. Pardon me if that's offensive, but that's, that's what they would have said about him. Because remember, Mary became pregnant before Joseph and she had consummated their relationship. And that's no secret. You can't hide that under a bigger tunic, right? Everyone knew what was going on. Jesus lived a difficult life. It was not a path paved with roses. It was a difficult and challenging life. And he met every challenge and succeeded with perfect righteousness. He submitted to God in everything, even to his death on the cross. And so Jesus went to the cross, not because he deserved death, but he went to the cross because we deserve death. 
And even though Jesus was perfect, God was pleased to place on him the iniquity of us all. And he was crushed because of our sin. God did that because he loves you and he wants to give you this gift of justification through your faith so that Jesus, who knew no sin, would become sin. All of the sin of all of the world, of all of the people, placed on him so that through his death, all who believe might become the righteousness of God in him. When you put your faith in Jesus, God transfers you to being in Christ. Before you were in the world and you were in your sin, but after you put your faith in Jesus, you're transferred to in Christ and you're a member of God's family and you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son, the domain of the Son whom he loves. Wow, that is awesome. That is a gift from God. Romans 3, 20 continue, Romans 3 continues in verse 25. God presented Jesus as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, receiving through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God, dem- God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God presented Jesus as the payment, the atoning sacrifice for all sin, for your sin, so that he would have this opportunity so that he could justify you because he has a special form of divine justice and he wants to be the justifier of all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You receive the gift of justification when you put your faith in Jesus. You receive the gift of justification when you put your faith in Jesus. This is very important for us to recognize and understand. Justification is a gift. In Romans 4, right after this, Paul talks about Abraham's justification. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, What then will we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed or as a debt. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. You cannot earn justification. It is only received. And the way that you receive that is through faith in Jesus. For some reason, it's very hard for us to get a hold of this truth and to maintain our hold on this truth. For some reason, we really want to earn this righteous record. We don't like receiving things for free. We want to prove that we are worthy. You have that drive inside, don't you? You want everything you do to receive that A+. You want to get the gold star for it. You want to get it done. When somebody judges you as unworthy, you want to be vindicated, right? You want to show them, I am worthy. I am capable. I can do this. You can't do that in this instance. 
You cannot do that in this instance. And yet, we're so drawn to this idea. You see, for some reason, we're just prone to religion. Do you know what religion is? Religion is the human attempt to reach God. It's us building a ladder so that we can reach high enough to get a hold of heaven. We did it. We made it. And God says you can never build a ladder high enough. I'm so far out of your reach, it could never happen. It won't hold up. We've been doing this since almost the dawn of time. Did you realize that's what the Tower of Babel was about? They were building a tower to the heavens so that they and their wisdom and their power could reach up and take control and show that they were in charge. But that's not what God wanted. So God broke down their ability to build that tower, didn't he? He confused them and gave them many languages because we can't ever reach him on our own. It would be impossible for them to do it. And rather than being confused, God confused their language so that they could find the truth that it's only by grace that we can reach the heavens. It's only by his gift of justification that we can have the right record to pursue him and approach him. This is continued, as I said. Did you know that there are many churches who have decided that we are not justified by grace alone, but that we have to work for justification? They'll say, oh yes, justification is by faith and by works. You have to have faith, and then you have to add works to your faith. And if you don't, you're not really justified. Do you know what they're really saying? They're saying, you've got to work for justification. It starts by faith, but if you don't work after that, it's gone, and you never really had it, or you've lost it. Is that really justification? Is that the gift of Jesus' record into your account, or is it you gaining a chance to prove to God that you deserve the gift of grace? It sounds like you earning the chance to deserve the gift of grace. God is very clear. The one who works does not receive a gift. What do they get instead? A paycheck. They receive what they're owed. But this isn't us receiving what we're owed. It's us receiving what Jesus was owed. It's Jesus saying, I'll trade you paychecks, man. You need more than you're going to make on your own. So I'll trade you paychecks so you can have my reward for my work. And I will take your reward for your work. That is an amazing deal. That's a deal that is so good that some people don't want to receive it. They can't understand why God would do that. They say, that's not right. Well, it's right in God's eyes because his love is greater than your sin. His love is greater than the distance between you and him. And he wants to cross that distance and he wants to give you the gift of justification. And all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is say, I know that you want to give me Jesus' record and I receive that from you today then you have everlasting life. Then you have way more than justification, but that's a set of different sermons than today. So let's talk about what justification gives you. First, justification means that you are always welcome. Justification means that you are always welcome. Do you know what infants need to thrive? Do you know the number one thing that infants need to thrive? They can have food. They can have blankets. They can have warm light, and they can have darkness. What is it that infants need to thrive? They need love. They need love. It's actually been demonstrated that without love, the human brain becomes mentally delayed. 
we used to use the, the term retarded, which just means delayed development. Without love, the human brain delays in development. Love is the connection that brings life and fullness into every human. God programmed into our very DNA that we would need love, specifically his love, to be complete. And we experience that from other humans, but most of all, every human being needs God's love in their life. I'm not joking about this. This is a very serious thing. The reason the world is out of control, the reason why everybody is seeking and searching, why there are wars, why there is greed, why there's hoarding, why there's fights during election season, all of this, quite genuinely, is a lack of love and pursuing the basic needs that we have through means that are not from the Lord. James says it like this, why do you war? Why do you rage? Why do you kill each other? Isn't it because of your greed? You're looking for something and you're not going to find it where you're looking for. You can only find completion in you through God's love. And when you are justified, you are always welcome before the Lord. You are always able to experience His love. You always have the access that your soul needs to be with your Creator, your Heavenly Father. In Matthew 3, it says this. Now, Matthew 3 is a story of Jesus' baptism. He's on his way to be baptized, and it's a point of obedience in Jesus' life. Matthew 3, in the midst of Jesus' baptism, it says this, And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know what this is? This is a divine statement. This guy is righteous. He has a good record. I am pleased in him, and I am pleased by what he does. If you have been justified, if you have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ through your faith in God, then this is how God views you. I want to say that again. If you have received righteousness through faith by being justified, then this is how God views you. He looks at you and he says, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I, am lo who I love. I delight in him. How many people do you know that their family, their loved ones at some point in time, has not spoken words of blessing and love over them, but have spoken words of condemnation and death over them. What does that do to them in their souls? How does that impact them? I had good parents, but I remember as a teenager, one time I was cutting corners on a weekend chore. I was supposed to do the trim mowing, and my dad was going to do the main mowing. And his riding lawnmower had broken down, and his brother had given him one of these walk-behind things that's self-propelled, that's, I don't know, 75 feet wide or something like that. It was this huge thing. And so I was trim mowing, and I just trimmed the littlest bit around everything. And what I didn't think about is that my dad wasn't on a riding lawnmower where he could dodge the sticks and get out of the way of the tree branches. And instead, he was being pulled by this monster around the yard. And so he's trying to mow under trees, and they're whacking him in the face, and they're poking him. And to make matters worse, the safety mechanisms were broken on this thing. So if dad let it go, it was just going to go. And I had a little brother, and we had pets, 
And in a father's mind, sometimes when things go wrong, they think that everything is going to go wrong. So I'm sure in my dad's mind, if he lost control of this thing, the dog was going to run in front of it, and my little brother was going to try and get the dog, and all of a sudden, well, we don't have to go any further, do they? And so dad came to me very upset after mowing, and he had some really strong words to share with me about the job I did and what sort of a son I was in that moment. That was almost 30 years ago. My dad loves me, but those words are still there in my memory. Praise the Lord, they're not what defines me. But sometimes in our hearts, the negative words that other people speak, the negative words that we think about ourselves, become the thing that define how we view ourselves. Every human heart needs to know the love of God to be whole and complete. And there are many of us who struggle with this sense of being loved. If you are justified, you are loved beyond measure. You were loved beyond measure before, but you didn't hear that voice. There wasn't the freedom to declare it. There was a need of addressing something else. But now that that's addressed, God wants you to know his love. He wants you to remain in his love. He wants your heart and mind to marinate in his love. He wants you to hear on a regular basis, you are the one I delight in. You are the one that I rejoice in. I'm pleased in you. I'm pleased in who you are. You know what else this does? This gives us boldness. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is because of Jesus' work on our behalf. And so because we're loved, because we've been justified, we now have this opportunity to come before God and ask for what we need and to be bold about what we need. That we need mercy, which is not receiving consequences that we deserve, and that we need grace, which is favor and spiritual power to overcome the obstacles that we face. That's a really big deal because often when we have failed, when we feel less than what we think we should be, when we know that we haven't done what's right, then we hide and we experience shame, which is a negative self-identification of ourselves. But God says, no, let my love define you. Let my love define your relationship with me so that you can always come and you can always receive mercy and you can always receive the grace that you need to move forward out of the place that you are. Because you've been justified, God loves you, and you're always welcome in his presence, no matter what. No matter what. Next justification means that you have peace with God. Justification means that you have peace with God. Therefore, it says in Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a big concept, but it doesn't seem like a big concept until you understand what peace with God can mean for you. In general, would you say that the world is a very peaceful place? It's safe around the world. Everybody has what they need. There's no reason for fear, concern, anxiety, worry. Everything's right all the time. No, the world's not like that at all. In fact, the news can't seem to run out of bad things to talk about. There's just always bad news to report. You don't open the paper and like, it's just filled with all these special human interest stories. Writers are like, I couldn't find anything to complain about this week, so let me tell you about this litter of puppies that was born. 
They've got that in a section, right? But it's just a little bitty section, and it's to make you feel good, even though they're telling you all these bad things. Well, God wants you to have peace in your life. And the biblical concept of peace doesn't just mean that things are okay. It means that things are good. Peace is a place of thriving. It's a place of growth. It's a place of transformation. It's the place where it's genuinely all good. Is it easy to grow a garden here on the coast? No, why not? Everything, every sandy soil, unpredictable weather conditions. You get like frost on August 17th. Okay, not quite, right? But your tomatoes can live in a day that's 50 degrees for three days straight. If you have a greenhouse, isn't it much more, infinitely more easy to garden? Can't you grow more of what you want if you've got that place? That greenhouse is a place of peace for your plants. It's cloudy, it's 85 in there. It's too dry, you can water it and the water won't go anywhere. It's too wet, not to worry, it's got a shield over it. It's too windy, no problem. Your fans control the wind speed in that place. When you are in Christ, you are in a spiritual greenhouse. You are in a place of peace where your soul can thrive, where your spirit can soar. As long as you let your mind and heart dwell in Christ Jesus. This peace is a place of development and power for you. But you need to access that peace. In the book of Colossians, Paul says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. You need to take an active step here. You have peace with God but maybe you're not allowing the peace that God has for you to be the defining characteristic of how your horizons look. You have peace with God, but you're allowing something else to bring a storm into your life. You have peace with God, but you're letting somebody take that peace from you, rob you from that place of abundant living. You need to let the peace of God rule or reign over you. I'm sure we've all had that moment in the last month where we saw some bit of news, we received a word from someone, we woke out of bed and something that didn't ache the day before started aching really badly that day. And in that moment, you have a choice. Is this thing going to be the thing that rules my mind and my heart? Is this thing going to be what defines how I look at today, how I look at my life? Or am I going to let the peace that God has created for me in Christ Jesus be the thing that takes me everywhere I go. Man, I got to tell you, when you are a person that the peace of Christ rules in your heart, you are almost an unstoppable force. I have seen some of you at the grocery store, in McDonald's, at sports games, talking with your neighbors, and your neighbor or the cashier or whatever, they're having a day. You know, it's not a great day, but they're having it. And then you come in there with your peace from Jesus, and they say, how are you? And you say, I am amazing. I am amazing. You know why you're amazing? It's not because you couldn't have had a day. You could have had a day. But instead, you decided to have peace. You decided to have goodness from the Lord because you received that through your justification. And right then and there, you are saying, I live in a greenhouse where God has called me to thrive. And he has a greenhouse for you too. And I want you to know that there's a God who can create peace for you if you would put your faith in Jesus. Now, you might not be saying that with your words, 
but your peace is pervasive in that moment and it is known and it is identifiable and every human soul wants peace it's what we're striving for what we don't realize is that it's already been done for us through our loving savior through the prevenient grace of god who provided for you before you even knew that you needed it next justification means you always have reason to hope you always have reason to hope it has been said that without hope the human life ends the quickest that if you don't have hope you don't have a reason to live i think this is true because we're not just physical beings we're spiritual beings and existentially if we're not experiencing hope then we are experiencing death and we feel like we're dying every day because you have justification through christ you have reason to hope in romans 5 2 it says this we have also obtained access through him wait did i did i skip a bunch nope all right we're, we're right on track good deal uh, we also have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of god so paul is saying this justification results in you being able to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, there's some big concepts here. We're going to try and unpack them just a little bit. So the glory of God has two aspects in the Bible. The first of which is this bright and shining nature of God. This is you being made in the image of God. You're a reflection of his glory. And so you are like a bright shining point in creation where God can be seen in your life. And this is true of every human because every human is created in the image of God. But there's this other part of the glory and it has to do with weightiness. It has to do with power and significance. So for instance... The planet Earth in the galaxy rotates around what? The sun. The sun is the glory of our solar system. And everything in our solar system is regulated by the sun. We have hope for another year because the sun. And if the sun didn't exist, what would we be? An asteroid, a comet, a space rock. Would we live here? No, not unless if you're space dust or uh, uh, there's this, never mind, uh, nerd moment in my head. We don't need to go down that road. Uh, you wouldn't live. You'd have no hope for life. If, they, if the sun gave notice, I'm moving and you can't come with me, you'd die, right? It just, you, no more life anymore. You need the sun. The planet is held by the sun. God is the sun of human existence. He is the glory of the universe. He holds everything together by his will and his power. And it's no sweat for him. It's no sweat for him. So when we're talking about we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, it means this. We can rejoice because God's taking all of history in the direction that he wants it to go. God's taking your life and he's working in it for your good because that's part of his glory if you've been justified. Because you know that God is for you and you're part of his plan. He's taking you ultimately where you need to go. Have you ever been on a journey and the power to complete the journey quits on you? You've been driving down the road, your car all of a sudden gives one gasp and a light on the dashboard lights up and you pull off and now all the lights are out. 
And there's no hope of going forward. You're stuck on the side of the road. The glory of your engine is somewhere half a mile back down the road, right? God never does that. He's always going to pull through. He's always going to take you through. This is why in Romans 8, the Lord says this. What then are we to say about these things, these these difficult things that we face in life? If God is for us, who is against us? The answer is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he's the one who's for us. He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? In other words, the glory of Jesus, the future of Jesus is the future that's for you. He gave Jesus up for you. Is he going to hold something else back at this point? No. The answer is no. He's given you everything. Who can bring accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, it seems to have cut off there, nor principalities, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus for us. Wow. So we have reason to hope because God's always on our side. We don't have reason to hope because it says everything's going to go our way. Absolutely not. Don't be deceived. But you do have reason to hope because you are justified. Therefore, God has always got you. He's always got your back. He's always going before you. Nothing can separate you from his love. So it might be a bad week. It might be a bad month. It might be a bad year. God is still good, and he has good plans for your future, whether for now or for eternity. So you always have reason to hope. But are you holding on to that hope? I'm genuinely asking that. Are you holding on to that hope? Or is there something that you've allowed to rob you of that hope? Some present difficulty that you're facing where you're saying, I'm not sure that it's going to get any better. I'm not sure that it could move forward in any way. You know, quite frankly, I I talk to to lots of Americans and they think it's all over. It's all over. It's all lost. There's no hope left. What? Are you, do you have the Savior? Did you just say there's no hope left? Are you sure? Nope, time hasn't run out yet. God's still on the throne. He's still at work. We don't have to fear. He's got the future in his hand. We have reason to hope because of the glory of Jesus Christ. He's not giving up on his holy, awesome plan for all of creation. And you, my brothers and sisters, are included in that. And even you're a part of that, as our brother Ray just said. Because you have the hope of Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. And you're not of this world. You might get to vote American, but you're not even an American anymore. You're a citizen of heaven. You're awaiting a savior from there, not some dude or chick to be elected in Washington, D.C. You have a greater hope than this, my brothers and sisters. You don't have to wait for your bank account to be filled with extra zeros on the left side of the decimal point because you have every blessing in the heavenly places. 
And God has promised that he'll take care of you. You don't have to wait for your body to get better because you're going to get a glorified one. And this thing's a rental. It's not going to last forever. It's okay that it sags and drags and nags because soon it's going to shine. You don't have to worry because God has hope for you. God gives you justification so you are always welcome. And you can always have peace. And you always have reason to hope. So where does God's justification meet you today? Do you need to let the love of Christ be the thing that's soaking your mind and heart and truth so that you know that you're welcome? So you're defined as somebody who God loves? You're not defined by those words those other people spoke over you. You're not defined by the verdict of the judge. You're not defined by your past, your brokenness, your habits and hang-ups and your addictions. You're not defined by what other people think of you when they see you for the first time. You're not defined by the color of your hair or the way that you walk. You're defined by God's love. Are you a person who has peace? Is your soul abundantly thriving in the shelter of God's goodness for you so that you don't have fear and anxiety? So that you're free of shame and the things that addled you in the past? So that you can walk freely and grow in the goodness of God? Do you have hope for the future? Or is everything pessimistic and dark? You can't see things for how they really are because if you did, you'd just give up. Man, let the Lord give you hope. He will help you see reality more clearly. Your problems will seem worse, but his power will be greater for you. And you can live. And you can live because you are justified in Jesus Christ. Justification is what God has done for you. But it's so much more than that. It's God's power being unlocked and unleashed in your life because you have access to the divine now. So let the divine define you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your power and love towards us. Father, I don't think we clearly see how good justification is. I think when we get to the other side of eternity and we look back and we realize that there really was no reason for shame, there really was no reason to try and prove ourselves anymore, there was no reason to try and earn love from that person or accolades from that job, there was no reason to run in fear, there's no reason to give up hope. So Father, help us to get that eternal glimpse of now so that we can live in the goodness that you have planned and prepared for us so that we can know your love, that we can know your peace, that we can know your hope. There's nowhere else we can turn, God, who can give us life like you can. And so we turn to you now. We pray that you would continue to transform our hearts so we might walk freely and live abundantly in our Savior Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.